Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. So in order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to pay attention to and hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that happen. And I would love to learn more about the audience. So go to PodSurvey, that's P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y, PodSurvey.com slash James, and take a quick totally anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers and and even content that you won't want to skip. So once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash James, J-A-M-E-S. Thanks for your help. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. I was really fascinated by the news released yesterday. I guess in 2016, there was a a hack of an exchange, Bitfinex, where somebody stole at that time about $70 million worth of crypto. It was the largest hack at the time. I think it's one of the largest hacks in financial or the largest crimes in financial history of stealing from an exchange. And now, now that same those same coins are worth about four point five billion dollars. Yesterday, they caught a, the couple involved, uh, Ilya Lichtenstein and Heather Morgan. The whole case is fascinating for a variety of reasons. And I have on with me Lawrence Lewton, and Lawrence and I have I, our paths have intersected at various points. We both yeah. were worked with the Street.com, the New York Observer, Yahoo, CNBC. Now you're at. You were at Coin. You're at CoinDesk right now. I'm at CoinDesk now. Yeah. Uh, and so you were reporting on this, and I'm just. I just wanted to chat about this case. What's so interesting about it? And uh, first off, why don't you summarize like what you've covered so far? Okay. Well, you know, the first thing to to always say is uh, all of this is alleged by by the feds, right? So this is not an, an innocent until proven guilty, and we actually don't know the full details. And and that even is even clear when you read the complaint that was filed. So. Yeah. Yes, as you were saying, in 2016, uh, an exchange called Bitfinex, which was uh, one of it, it, it has an interesting uh, place in the role of crypto, in that Bitfinex and its sister company Tether are well, specifically Tether is in. Oh, I didn't know Tether was a sister company of Bitfinex. Sister company of Bitfinex. Many years they denied any relationship. But I think it was after the Panama Papers came out, it turned out, look at that, everyone's, all the names seem to match up in, in managing it. Um, and, and later on, uh, in a couple of years ago, the New York Attorney General, uh, you know, that's a whole different story we can get into about um, the lawsuit from the New York Attorney General and how uh, basically Bitfinex covered up a, an even bigger loss that they had for, on, for, on their part uh, in dollar terms, right? Because this this thing that happened in 2016 was about $70 million. What happened in uh, 2019, 2020 
it, you know, this was more along the lines of, you know, it, it was uh, several hundred million. So it, it there is although, a, although, although was it more Bitcoins? Because don't forget in 2016, when this act happened or when this crime happened, Bitcoin was only at $600 per coin. Then it went all the way up to $70,000. So in 2019, 2020, maybe it was at $20,000, something like that, or $10,000. It was less. It was less. I, I think at the time this happened, it was much less. Um, but this was a, a, this is a, a completely different story. It's going to require several hours to discuss. Um, and, and it's, uh, you know, Coindesk right now is in the midst of, uh, you know, we, we, we filed a freedom of information law uh, request to get some of the information that uh, subsequently in, in part of the settlement. So Bit, uh, Bitfinex, like Ifinex, right? There's a parent company, uh, did a settlement with the New York Attorney General. And part of the settlement was that Tether was going to release what its, um, what its, its quarterly assets are um, in, asset, in, their asset, in their attestations. Some of that information, supposedly there's more details that were submitted to the Attorney General than is being released to the public. Uh, and there's always been some questions as to what exactly is on those, uh, is on their asset side. And, and, and for people who are watching, listening and watching, and, and they're like, what are you talking about? Tether is a, um, it's a stable coin. So the way a stable coin works, it's almost like a casino chip, a poker chip, right? Casino chips, you put in a dollar, you get a chip. And it helps because you can't move dollars in the blockchain. You need a stable coin. Right. You need a coin that acts like the dollar and it can, can move be on converted the into dollars. Yeah. Right. So, this so if I want to get rid of Bitcoin, for instance, and turn it into dollars, first I turn it into something like Tether, and then I right. convert the Tether into dollars. Right. Uh, that's if you want to use a blockchain method of exchange. You know, centralized. When you go put your money with Coinbase, you're actually investing in their you're basically trading off of their wallet and this matters into the story of what we're going to talk about with bitfinex so you have this the you basically are trading if you're using a centralized exchange you're not actually on the blockchain necessarily you're buying and selling through this centralized exchange they're keeping their own accounts they're keeping track of it but there's an old saying in crypto not your keys not your bitcoin and that is an incredibly important part of what this whole story is about. So in the story with Bitfinex slash Tether, um, in, in later years, they had a, a, a fairly, it, it's kind of a long convoluted story involving uh, a payments processor who may have taken a lot of their money and them opening accounts that, uh, you know, uh, or people opening accounts to process their, their dollars and not necessarily um, not necessarily being truthful with why they were opening those accounts with the banks. And that's, of course, a, a big problem, it's a big no-no. So they ultimately settled with the Attorney General of New York, Letitia James. Rewind a few years, though. In 2016, Bitfinex is hacked, and it's hacked to the tune of 120,000, a little under 120,000 Bitcoin. Apparently, it was done in a series of about 2,000 transactions. And it's always been this giant cloud slash mystery in crypto. Who did this hack? And, and you know, there were conspiracy theories. It was big news then. Like this was before 
Bitcoin had gone like totally crazy in 2017, yeah. 2018, that that amount of Bitcoin was 20% of the annual volume of all of Bitcoin traded, apparently. And Bitcoin fell 20% that day when the news of the hack was released. It's a, do we know customers who who lost money or was it just Bitfinex who that lost money? Well, again, they they socialized in many ways this loss, which because again, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. So they were able to socialize some of the losses in the sense that, well, everyone got a haircut. Mm -hmm. um, okay. It was like about a third of their accounts got haircuts here. So lose, like, why didn't they go out of business instantly? Like if I put money in a bank and then I'm told one third of my money is gone, I would switch banks. Well, a lot of people, you know, again, you, you need an exchange to trade, right? You need a place to go. Yeah. Not everyone, not everyone. It's not so easy to just pick up and go. I mean, it, you, you, there are all sorts of theories as to why people stayed with on Bitfinex. Um, nonetheless, they did. Bitfinex issued uh, tokens to offset uh, some of the losses for people, which they ultimately repaid. Um, and now they actually had, because of this most recent thing that I was just talking to you about, the New York Attorney General and, and their loss of several hundred million dollars, uh, they issued another token. That's going to benefit actually from the recovery, ultimately, should those coins end up back to Bitfinex. And, and it's not quite sure how long that process is going to be. Nobody really knows what the next steps are and then how they're going to allocate uh, the, the, those coins. But uh, there is a token out there called Unised Leo, or it's all just called Leo. It's an exchange token. And it's going to benefit ultimately. The, the token holders are going to benefit from that recovered uh, okay. Bitcoin. So, so actually what was interesting, and, and before we get into the details of this hack, the um, several, day, several days ago, this is around January 31st, February 1st or so, um, there was some movement in this hundred and uh, so, okay, not all uh, 120,000 Bitcoin uh, were together, right? But they knew that a good chunk of them, so about this was about 90,000 Bitcoin, right? So you'll see this discrepancy about $3.8 billion in the amount recovered, but $4.8 billion worth, right? So if you take the current yeah, price times 120,000, it was like a good billion dollar gap. So what's been recovered or what's been accessed was this uh, $3.8 billion worth on a 90 something thousand Bitcoin. Somebody noticed that there was a movement in it. And the question is, and hopefully I'm not too choppy here. The, the, the question is, um, who moved it? So the initial thought was, well, if it, clearly it's the, whoever the hackers were moved it, but it turned out some people on the internet were noticing, hey, you know what? The way in which it moved, it kind of signaled that it was a, an authority, like the feds doing it, because it, it, there was a, a small amount that was first transferred and then the, the big amount all at once. And well, why does that indicate the feds moved it? I guess it, it, it's a method in which the fed see it when they seize um, Bitcoin. That's kind of some things that they would do. There are certain things that they would do in their behavior pattern would indicate that this was not um, not a potential hacker, but potentially a government doing it. And, it and, and is it also, do, do we know that the place that they moved it to is like a government wallet or? I don't, I don't remember exactly where it moved. To be honest, I, I don't mm -hmm. remember where it moved, but I did know that people were, were commenting uh, back then. They were like, hey, you know, there's been some movement. It looks like, it looks like the feds are up to something. 
and they and moved so, it from the wallet. Like so, so basically, when Bitfinex was hacked, the the hundred twenty thousand bitcoins were moved into some wallet. And several, you're saying several, just, yeah, several over. wallets. But like, so so, how do people know to look at this one wallet and say, hey, this was part of the hack, and now it's been moved? Like, I, so, I'm trying to understand. One of, one of the misconceptions about Bitcoin is that it's private. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not. It's actually one of the most public ways to transact in the world is that if you use the Bitcoin uh, uh, blockchain, that transaction is recorded and it's, it's immutable. I mean, it's there forever. Everyone can see it. You look it up, you can see, you know, years later exactly when that happened. There's nobody going back and pressing delete in case you... You shouldn't have sent it, et cetera. It's done. That's there. It's on the blockchain. That's the glories of the blockchain is that all that information is there forever and ever. So this, um, so, so these kind of transactions, right? They know, oh, this, these coins moved initially from that hack. They know when that, when the hack occurred, where they moved, et cetera. And they were flagged and, and that's it. And so, it's really hard to do it. Nonetheless, they, it appears that whoever hacked it, right? And, and, and now notice that I'm saying it appears who, who, whoever did it because we don't know, right? The, the, these are allegations against uh, Liechtenstein and Morgan that they committed. These are allegations made by authorities that they laundered the money, but they didn't say they hacked it. And if you read the complaint, they actually say a hacker. Right, and although... The implication they 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 said that this complaint is about the laundering of the money of the Bitcoin that was right. hacked, and they they don't identify Lichtenstein and Morgan at all as the hacker. But I guess common sense is if Lichtenstein and Morgan were the only ones involved in all the laundering, and it really involves the entire amount of the money amount stolen, they probably were the hackers. But we don't know. That's alleged. Uh, no, That's, I, I, we don't. Like, it's not even alleged. We just don't know. We don't know. We don't. We honestly don't know. I, I don't. I don't. But we can I, guess. We can make a guess. Yeah. And, and you can try to make a guess, but legally that doesn't stand. Number one. Number two is that we actually right. don't know because not all the details. Maybe even the government doesn't quite know. the The way the government is 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 putting up these charges is that Liechtenstein and, and Morgan had uh, a cloud um, account uh, and they had. Uh, all the details of all the, these accounts in in there, and this is in the in the uh, in the complaint that they they allege that that the that Liechtenstein and Morgan had all these uh, files, and in it were all these accounts, and that they had used email addresses in in India to start accounts in different exchanges, and that KYC AML flags, you know your customer anti money laundering rules, the the flags went up in certain cases. We don't know exactly. Who tipped off the government that, hey, you should go look into this account? And we have although um, although they, they since you since they do know what wallet the the hacked money went into, they were able to trace that money going from that you know, money from that wallet going into other wallets and it owned it by different exchanges. And then ask those exchanges who those accounts owned, and in some cases they came back with the names Lichtenstein and Morgan, and that kind of gave them the initial clues. That yeah, I, and and so we have we have that, but we don't know the exact uh, we don't know the exact process. And and the thing too is that there you know there was a big bounty on whoever could could you know reveal who did this. 
uh, who lead to arrests and, and convictions. Um, yeah, four hundred million dollar bounty. Yeah, which is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, look, yeah. if it, you know if someone got drunk at a party and opened their mouths for four hundred million dollars, I don't know, mom, I'm gonna have to turn you in. But um, <laughs> nonetheless, I would turn uh, my mom definitely. <laughs> I, I don't want to. I, I, you know, that's between you and your therapist. She's going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it, it, they had it. The, the feds had a warrant, and they went through, and they were able to connect everything that way. They say so. Um, that that's sort of how this happened. And sorry to interrupt, but like, in they they got to Lichtenstein's cloud storage account. I don't know where it was. Like, let's say it was Dropbox, and he had a spreadsheet there with the usernames and passwords of many of these accounts in question. So that was a big indicator that. He was the owner of these accounts, right? I, I, and some of them uh, had the word "frozen" allegedly um, mm. uh, on the lines where those uh, were. So they, so in the complaint, they said that that he knew. Um, they they claimed that he knew that that they were frozen. I have a question. Since you can always track movements from one wallet to another, even though you don't know who owns the wallets, up to a point. Up to a point. So what's that point? Like, how does someone actually get Bitcoin out of this and escape? So they were they were sending it out to different um, they, you know uh, they were using different methods and, and again I'm not a technologist so you know that's why I'm being really careful not to describe things in full because I don't first of all I don't want to give people the wrong ideas about how this works I would say you know uh, seek professional uh, assistance when trying to do this but they essentially were figuring out a way to uh, peel if you will <laughs> the uh, the little bits of Bitcoin. I'm trying to describe it in very simple ways and, and, and obfuscate it through different movements and into different types of currency, such as Monero. Monero is a more uh, is really uh, a, a real privacy coin, which Bitcoin isn't. Monero makes it hard for people to trade, really hard to track. I mean, this is, and I'm not saying this is a to to give an advertisement from Monero, but when people do things that aren't necessarily, um, should we say kosher in the markets, they uh, they use Monero as a way to do it more so than Bitcoin. The reason you hear Bitcoin and all this is actually, um, you know, a lot of the, the uh, online frauds and whatever, it's like send me Bitcoin and, and what have you to this wallet um, is actually a couple of things. First of all, those hackers sometimes aren't sophisticated, but second of all, there's not as much liquidity in Monero as there is in in Bitcoin, so it's easier to to ask for Bitcoin because it's easier to access, right? You, you just go and you, they're vending machines. Or literally, I went to a gas station yesterday, and I went into you know buy some candy and, as I shouldn't, but now I've confessed. My wife's going to yell at me for busting my diet. <laughs> and and as I'm going in to buy some, there's a guy next to me talking about NFTs, and he's getting money. He's getting uh, he's getting Bitcoin in, in a vending in, in a in an ATM. Yeah, they Bitcoin have ATM, ATM machines for it. Yeah, in in a uh, in a gas station in New Jersey. So it, it's ubiquitous. So you you hear all, all these things like, well, Bitcoin is, is the uh, currency of scammers. No, really, you know, you, when it comes down to it, other there are other things. So so basically, what they were doing was they were taking some of their Bitcoin and that was in the hacked wallet that everybody saw was the hacked wallet, but they were moving it to various exchanges offshore allegedly. or decentralized allegedly. And, and then maybe switching it 
to Monero before the feds knew who they were or what was happening. And then the, once it's in Monero, it disappears because you cannot tr track transactions from wallet to wallet in, in Monero. It's harder. But Monero, Bitcoin, yeah. Monero has over $100 million worth of trading volume a day, though. And, and this hack occurred, you know, in six, almost, you know, five or six years ago. So, Before, yeah. yeah, why didn't, why didn't they, I still don't understand, like. Why they didn't cash out right away? Yeah, or, or at least over these past five years. We don't know. I mean, again, the way we don't know if, if it was them who did it, um, yeah, and, and who exactly did it, it's the same way. I mean, you know, there was an arrest a few years ago of, of two Israeli brothers um, on this very hack. And really? That story, yeah, and the story was like, it, it didn't hold water. We never heard about it again. Uh, I don't even know if it went to trial or not. Um, it, and it was just sort of like, it didn't make sense. Who knows what was, it, it was somehow connected. and. Um, you know, the Israelis arrested them, but uh, who knows? Like, you just don't know the full details. Again, even the feds admitted a hacker. They didn't say he is the hacker or she is the hacker. They didn't say that in their complaint. Okay, but like whoever whoever the hacker is, like let's even say it's not them. Um, I'm just talking like hypothetically, how would you get rid of, how would you cash out on this hack? Like, they again, so, so they would move it into Monero or they would move it into other currencies. They would do small transactions split it up all over the place so why at the why the other day did people notice that uh there was movement from this wallet hasn't there always been movement from this wallet into all these no, other exchanges so, and wallets so there was that there was so far of that 120 million as i said 90 million was kind of staying put and it was 30 uh, sorry 90,000 right out of 120,000 90,000 stayed put and there was 30,000 that did all that movement so you know you could have had conceivably a situation like Superman, you know, where you or actually office space. You ever see office space where yeah, yeah. they accidentally get it, you know, so it's like the same thing. It's like you make it, you, you had a, a an accident and you were hoping to steal just a little bit and you ended up stealing a lot. And you could have that situation here. We don't know for certain. We, we just don't. Um, we, we don't know. And, and this is still being debated right now between the custodian, Bitco, at, uh, from at the time, and B Bitfinex's former employees saying, hey, you know, the custodian had this uh, multi-signature wallet and you you had to have two or three signatures, uh, you know, digital signatures to approve any kind of transfers out of the exchange. Um, and there was a question of whether or not they had just automated that, which essentially negated the whole thing, but that they automated that to make it easier to use and that this was all put in place. And this is kind of an argument that they've been having back and forth. And other people have been chiming in uh, with this idea that this was maybe had been put in place because it was coming at a time when Bitfinex was trying to operate in the United States. They had to put in place some KYC AML rules but they were not fans of it. So they made it, yes, they put in these checks, but the checks may have been easy to overcome by design and that whoever hacked it took advantage of that. Okay, so I'll get to that in a second. So wherever this wallet was being stored, where they transferred the hacked money, that was being hosted by somebody or no? No, so so you're talking about the Bitfinex's wallets and and what have you. Yeah, I mean that was that was they had a custodian for for all their their stuff, right? So then those 
coins moved into a different wallet outside of the control of Bitfinex and their custodian. And ultimately went wherever it went, you know, say, you know, it's a couple of thousand accounts. That wallet can't be frozen or seized because A, there's well the now photography aspect. Yeah, and of I, I think that's the one that ultimately was drained by the feds the other day. Right, because they got they figured out how to decrypt it, you know, maybe right. based on what was in the cloud storage of Ilya Lichtenstein, um, perhaps. But so so uh, again, it's confusing to me. Like, we, yeah. so we don't know we don't know who hacked, but do we know how it got hacked? We do know how Bitfinex got hacked. I, you know, mm. <laughs> like was it, did Ilya Lichtenstein ever work at Bitfinex? I couldn't find any evidence I, that, that, that he had worked there. That part I don't there. know. I don't know if he was a consultant. He was a somebody who was computer literate and his wife, um, you know, and they got married in November uh, before they were in long-term relationship. Um, and I think there's some uh, interesting legal aspects as to now that they're married, who can testify against whom, et cetera. Um, but the, uh, and, and so that happened like four months ago, uh, whether or not they were alerted to something we don't know. Um, oh, they just got married this past November. Yeah. And so, Fairly so, recent, okay. Yeah. So, so we don't know does does Bitfinex know how they were hacked or or they haven't said or like I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. Like someone had access to their the, the security mm -hmm. keys of these Bitfinex somebody, wallets. Somebody had a way in which they could do it in which the custodian said there was nothing noticeable. And and that actually led to a lot of the conspiracy theories. It was an inside job was a conspiracy theory. Um it kind of had to be an inside job because how else would they get know. the keys? Yeah. We don't know. We don't know. So maybe, we don't know. We don't know like, if, like we don't know if somebody left a wallet somewhere. We 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 just don't know. We don't know if somebody left their code somewhere. Somebody left the. We just don't know that that point. All we do know is what the feds allege after the fact of the hack, right? So right, it's like they, a big and, mystery before. What's interesting is though that the custodian, I think it was their chief. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the, the role was, but did a, an interview with Heather Morgan for an article at Forbes on cybersecurity. So that might be one of her ways of trying to dig for information of, of how much they knew. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how or why. It was just an interesting tidbit. That's yeah. a, that's a, that's that a distinct possibility. Um, assuming that she knew something or she was involved again, I, we don't know if they, you know, until, until there's a trial, we, and a conviction, we can't say whether or not that happened. So, so, so whoever, so assuming it was them, but, or, or assuming it was anybody, they, they filtered out 30,000 of the 120,000 Bitcoins through, they, they, they transferred it to, you know, exchanges that were on the dark web, the, the, this Alpha Bay exchange, they, they had fake email accounts and companies and, and exchanges in India they transferred things to. So let's like, say they were able to get, siphon off like a billion dollars worth. Why were they writing for Forbes and Inc and hanging out in New York or California or wherever? Why didn't they just disappear? Like, did, did they ever get a hold of a billion dollars? Look, I'm sitting here and I'm scratching my head on that one too, right? Like, who's the last person you would expect to do it? It's someone in your right in your face every day. Yeah. Like, but like, we're all hesitant to say they were these criminal masterminds, and not only because legally that 
we can't say it, right? Because we don't know the full details of how it happened. It's still alleged. It's still a, um, an allegation. And it's, it hasn't gone to trial. But it's really hard emotionally to even say it because you're, you're looking at it and you're like, these were, they were having a, like a fantastic life, just a fantastic, you know, very normal life. But like you said, though, they got married in November because perhaps we don't know, but perhaps they, they it, thought perhaps they thought that the government was looking after them. Yeah. Even then, I don't know. It just seems like really like what would what would you have done if you if, if I don't think if, I would have done much different if I if I had that. Maybe I don't have that mentality. I mean, I probably I, I'd probably just go biking all day. Um, but you want to like, like say, OK, I'm going to hide in South America somewhere. Well, or, what life is that? Like, you know, people are What's well, life better than going to jail? I, but that's a risk you take if you think that you're going to get caught. Yeah. I mean, if you think you're going to get caught, or you could get caught, one thing you wouldn't do is put stuff on the cloud computer after writing articles that you shouldn't put things on cloud on the cloud. I, I, I mean, there, there's, there's so many things here where you're just scratching your head and you're like, this doesn't make sense. And if you feel I mean, like you're not getting the full story anyway. Yeah, because I think, I mean, one thing that they apparently bought was a $500 Walmart gift card. Yeah. With some of the, so like, it doesn't and seem hotel, like they were. Hotel stays and it, it was kind of, it's sweetly modest for what you would do with a billion dollars in, in Bitcoin. I mean, it's like, you, you almost feel like, you know, like, God forbid they are, like, God forbid they actually did it. But you, you, you go, you know, like they weren't, you see these people and, and you know, let's think about this for a second. They're not, they're not going to Central America and telling people to invest their money in Bitcoin, you know, they, they're not going there and pushing the Bitcoin gospel on people who are, are living hand to mouth. They're not going yeah. out and pushing it on people you know, and, and, you know, making them the bag holders and selling them all this Bitcoin that, that you know, it, it, uh, however they got it. Uh, they didn't do that. But like, there's some people too, who so are doing this legally and never did anything illegal. But the question is, how much moral is it? How much more moral is how much more moral is it telling people to to and countries to put their money in a volatile asset at a time when they're they're at risk? Compared to putting up a couple of rap videos and 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 and, and small figure Walmart cards and maybe going on a big, I, I don't know what's more damaging to society. You you tell me. Well, I mean, I'm I'm uh, uh, in favor of Bitcoin as a currency. Currency like El Salvador switched from their failing currency to Bitcoin was probably a good decision for the country as a whole. You call so it the dollar. We'll you're saying the dollar is a failing currency, but they're in the situation now where. You know they have to pay their debts in U.S. dollar. Bitcoin's more stable than than let's say a failing. I don't know what El Salvador's currency was. was, El, was it? El Salvador's currency was U.S. is the U.S. dollar. It's been the U.S. dollar for almost uh, was it two decades now. It used to be the Cologne. They got rid of it because it was failing. So they went to the U.S. dollar, and that was a stable currency for them. They switched recently to having both the U.S. dollar and Bitcoin because they have a lot of remittances. The idea is that it would cost on remittances. It would help 
diversify their asset base, et cetera, and attract mm. investors to come into El Salvador to do mining, et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera. But again, it's a, you know, they, and, and uh, President Bukele, you know, likes to brag about how he buys Bitcoin. You know, he said he bought it naked, et cetera, literally physically naked, uh, not naked yeah. as in he didn't buy it without puts. I mean, he went and bought it. Um, you know, as a, as a former currency trader, when someone says I bought it naked, you're thinking, oh, he didn't, he didn't buy puts? No, no, he literally means he was not wearing clothes or he was standing in his bathrobe or whatever it was, uh, let's hope, buying uh, Bitcoin on his phone. And, and uh, you know, I, I look, I again, you know, obviously I cover cryptocurrencies or I'm a I'm a fan of all in a lot of ways. And at the same time, I also think that we we all have to be a little more cautious about what we encourage the financial revolution uh, and, and who we encourage uh, the people to take up um, um, proverbial arms in the financial revolution because well, not every I, person I, not every person can afford to do it yeah and i agree with you on on bitcoin where it's still unclear whether this was a good test case or whether or whether it's a currency or what if it has any utility ethereum we're starting to see there's actual real world utility because there's hundreds of millions of dollars in transactions per day and DeFi is a real thing, and NFTs could be a real thing. We'll see, but yeah, Bitcoin, we don't know. But it, but like you said, it's not like they were, you know, they weren't even really. So so what they, they did was buying so Lambos, far, they weren't buying. You know, they weren't being flashy with their money. So this could suggest maybe they weren't the hacker. Maybe they the hacker was paying them to somehow launder part of it. For for we, all we, we know, it, yeah, it, we don't know. We don't know. We don't That's know. We won't know. Until there's a trial, we need a trial. We and need, now we need they, they did move some of the, they did move some of the Bitcoin into some exchange called Alphabet, which is apparently was an exchange working off right, of the dark web. Right, that's what they think that all that, that, that stuff got um, cleaned, if you will, laundered and what have you. What was Alphabet like and why did it shut down? I mean, I, I'm not too familiar with Alphabet. It's, uh, I, I, I like the up and, uh, up and honest uh, exchanges myself. So that's... Uh, <laughs> You know, if there's I mean, no KYC AML, I don't know if I necessarily want to know what that does. No, but like if they're connecting to Alphabet already, that means they that means they knew how to navigate the so-called dark web and find other participants engaged in illegal activity or or some semi-illegal activity or whatever it was. And my other question there is why do all of this at all? Why not just find a really big illegal player and sell for a massive discount? the coins you have so for instance let's say they stole 70 million dollars worth of coins now worth four and a half billion why couldn't they just say to somebody on the dark web hey we've got this wallet with 70 million dollars worth of bitcoin we'll sell it to you for 10 million and i know there's the answer is i don't know but i'm just curious like like i'm just I, trying to look, think it seems like what they did was stupid for all we know the the hacker again i'm not going to say is it's i can't i won't say it's morgan and Liechtenstein for a lot of reasons but the hacker right may not have had the same kind of uh, phone book that a James Altucher would have. Right? I don't have a phone book of illegal. Uh, but you have a phone book uh, of people who have $70 million to buy Bitcoin or, or, or you know, a couple of billion even. They might not have that those kind of connections. And they might not know necessarily, like, how do you, like, it, it's scary in many ways. Imagine, I, I mean, like, you know, it, it's like something like you come across 
I don't know, an inheritance or something or a lot. Like you, you, you see this with lottery winners where like they, they get all of a sudden this massive windfall yeah. and there are many ways you can do it. You could spend it ridiculously and a lot of lottery winners go bankrupt. You see this a lot with sports, with, with athletes. A lot of athletes get these massive pro contracts five years after they're done with their, their leagues, they're, they're bankrupt. There is a huge amount of bankruptcies going on with professional uh, athletes. And you see this also too with lottery winners, their lives get ruined. And so getting back to your answer, why not spend, you know, why were they spending it so frugally? But you say, well, I mean, what else would you do? Like, what was, what would have been the smartest way to do it? Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. 
I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee. And I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldercher, would you like to apply to be VP of en entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of, because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's health care by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that? There's a whole section just with my name on it. HIMSS.com slash James. That's how, I, how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. HIMS.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See HIMS.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Okay, the smartest way to do it, here's what I think, is if they were the hackers, and I'm I'm putting a big if, and they they had it in a wallet that was everybody saw it in the wallet, but you can't unlock the wallet for for the reasons Bitcoin part of the reasons Bitcoin exists is you can't unlock someone's wallet. It's it's too difficult. And they could have and they had they seem to have connections into the dark web and illegal ways to get rid of they they understood money laundering at least according to the complaint they allegedly understood uh money laundering and all the different techniques and they were using those techniques and they did those techniques and so they got they, they cleaned something like a billion dollars according to the the complaint so i think the way i would have looked at it was a it's one thing to do the hack it's another thing to clean the money so find someone in the dark web or some chic in the middle east was willing to take this risk and just sell just say hey we got a hundred million dollars worth of this we'll sell it to you for 20 million we'll sell it to you for 30 million just get it off our hands 
wire the money to this numbered Swiss bank account. And, and then, and then they would disappear. The hacker would, you know, not show up in the U S ever again, move to some, you know, take it on a new identity, which you could pay for, uh, and, and move to some weird country and live out your life. That might be what you would do, but humans are yes. <laughs> incredible. Yeah, yeah. But people are incredibly social. They have, um, you know, you're talking about getting rid of your identity, losing your family, pretending to be dead. Um, and there are people who do that, right? It's always been the question about the Quadriga uh, folks, right? Uh, the founder of Quadriga, whether or not he really is, he really dead. Uh, you know, that's always been a rumor. But um, there are other people who, you know, you have a social life, you have family, you know who bailed, you know who, um, it, it, so they had to put up a bond. It was their parents put up a bond. I mean, I'm not saying again, they were guilty. So, so this is, you know, that they were responsible for the hack, but nonetheless, I mean, if you think if somebody is in that, if they were the hacker, et cetera, um, it's clear their family loves them. It's clear yeah. their friends love them. It was a $5 million bond for Ilya and a $3 million bond for, for Heather. And they, and also part of the requirements were they, they, they had to give up their phones and computers and they can only use a flip phone that has no yeah. internet access. Yeah, they and the parents they, had to put up their homes. Yeah. They found a bag of burner phones under the bed. In their bed. Yeah. So clearly I, they were up to illegal activity. No, we don't know. We don't know. Okay. I, I Cause mean, there's no trial. We don't know. We don't, no, right. I'm saying we don't know. I, but even so, I mean, like I, I have got, you know, I have friends who have burner phones, but that's all because they're cheating on their spouses. Um, but <laughs> I've never even uh, seen a burner phone. Like, is that a phone that literally is a flip yeah. phone that it works for well, a day or something? I guess, or? I guess maybe, maybe that's jitterbugs, um, market. I don't know. You know, like for the senior oh, I don't citizens. Know. I have no idea. Yeah, but like <laughs> get a jitterbug, you know, for the for the for the boomers, you know, for <laughs> smartphones. Yeah, you know, the smartphones are kind of scary, so they get the big, you know, with the big numbers. It's like, hello, Billy, yeah. this is Grandpa. You know, <laughs> so maybe that's kind of fun. Like, I I don't know. Um, but as I'm saying, like people are social. They, they they these are people who have family that loves them. She had a, you know, I. If you, a lot of us watched their, their her videos last night. They were fantastic. I loved them. I really? loved them. I was oh god, I was on the floor. It was genius. There, there are her, a lot her of rapping you, videos. Yeah, but you had you know the thing is that I think people were were misinterpreting what was going on there. It it, it reminded me a lot. There was a, a performance artist named Peaches uh, a couple of decades ago, and Kitty it was another rapper, um, and, and they're absolutely hysterical. Um, you know, it's, it's comedy, it's rapping and, 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 you know, she, she's completely self-aware, doesn't take it seriously. Um, and you know, Jeremy Allaire and the circle crew did a, a rap video as well. That looked like they were not aware of what they were doing. Um, and it was embarrassing. What she was doing was pure comedy. My wife and I just sat there. We went through as many videos as we can. Unfortunately, they were able to take them down today. But I, oh, no. I bought her whole catalog on iTunes. It was fantastic. I, it's real. It's funny. It's it has a lot of social criticism. Um, you know, she she had one line in in a song called uh, uh, "Excuse me, Sass S A A S Holes," um, which is uh, about people in the SaaS industry. 
service as a, a software as a service. Yeah. And she said, you know, how can 30,000, how can 30,000 people be in 30 under 30? You know, yeah. like, <laughs> that is funny. It, it, it is, it's absolutely funny. And, and, it, and she took a real, like, you know, she, she really nailed a lot of the, the tech uh, culture in a very biting, biting way and a lot, you know, feminism and all that stuff. And it, it's sort of like, I, I think people are watching this and, and yeah, you know, she's very cheeky and everything, but you know, she was, I look at it as like she was, it was performance art and I, I think she did a great job, but that's something that you can't do undercover. You can't do in hiding. You can't do on an Island by yourself. It, it is part of being in a social group, you know, not living in Manhattan, living in Brooklyn, living in Bushwick, where there's art, there's culture, there's things happening, interesting people doing new things. And she was part, and she had a day job, a regular day job. He had a regular day job. And they were living in many ways, you know, we think like, what would you do with billions of dollars if you had it in your hands? And the answer is they might, maybe they answered that question for us, which is enjoy your life. Or maybe, maybe though, to your other point, maybe there's more to this story because yeah, why live in Bushwick? Why not? Were they overconfident that they were never going to get caught? Were they just some, to me, if something doesn't quite guilty. add up. If they were guilty again, this is, yeah, this if is why guilty, it raises yeah. so many questions, but on the outset, on the outside chance, they are responsible or whatever. I'm going to say that, right. Um, yeah. they lived a, in many ways, um, a kind of life that many of us are familiar with and are comfortable with and enjoy. I mean, you know, you think about like Warren Buffett living in Omaha instead of on the coast, living in a normal neighborhood instead of like, you know, the biggest house, these obnoxiously big, big McMansion, he just lived in a normal house, relatively speaking for one of the richest men in the world. Um, there's something comforting and reassuring about having a normal life. And it's so something you're saying that, like, like, like Warren Buffett, obviously he's not afraid of being caught for any illegal activity. They must've always had, I mean, they knew they were, you know, allegedly they knew they were engaging in illegal activity. And so that, that puts a certain fear probably into them. And I would just think they would have taken more precautions lifestyle wise. Like you said, even though they were living a simple life, they weren't spending a lot of money. I don't know. I think I would have probably tried to keep a lower profile or like I said, disappear or it just, but, but to the, but it makes so little sense to me what they did that it's to your point that maybe there's something, there's more to this case that, yeah. that will be uncovered that we don't really know. And yeah. I guess the next step is the trial but it's worthwhile reading the complaint because it does show the complaint itself is almost like a guide to money laundering uh, Bitcoin because it does show like all the different ways in which they, and they, the, the feds named all the methods that they were using for money laundering. And the, the guy who wrote the complaint was saying, in my experience, blah, 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 this is how money launderers do it. And uh, it's just, the whole thing is so odd. And, and, and we don't know any connection that they have to Bitfinex but, but yet somehow they gained access to a very secure wallet within Bitfinex. And it seems like they got, or allegedly they got this access and nobody else, as far as we know. Um, but, but again, the feds did not say that they're not, you know, the feds they're are not, not accusing their hand. them. 
They're not tipping their right. head. If they know something that they, you know, if they know something or don't know something, it, 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 there was no definitive answers on either either side of it. So, you know, maybe maybe they're going to get more information from them, or or maybe they'll. We don't know. We don't know. And do you know? I, do you know what happens to the money now? Does it go back to Bitfinex or does that, that, the that hold on to it? Be seen. I mean, I, I, you would think that yeah, at some point it would go back to Bitfinex. Um, how and when and why, you know, et cetera, that, that hasn't been spelled out yet. Um, and what kind of time frame we're looking at for it to go back. If they weren't expecting it in recent weeks or months, this was definitely a, a gift for them to get it back finally. But this was, yeah, I, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly the, the time frame, and I don't know if it's been spelled out yet or, or how, what the next steps are. If you could ask them one question, what would you ask them? Bitfinex? No, if you could ask Ilya Lichtenstein and Heather Morgan. Uh, when's, when's her next album dropping? Uh, <laughs> it really is good. Uh, no, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, yeah, I guess, I, you know, it's like, I, I think the question, you know, who, who did it uh, and, how, you know, what ties, were, were there any, was it an inside job or, you know, what, what were the... Um, what were the holes? And again, I don't know if they would necessarily have the answers because we don't know what their involvement was. And this is, we don't know the full extent. Right. We don't know what right. they knew. And that that's going to come out in trial. It's such an interesting situation. I'm sure we'll be, be following it. And, and Lawrence, I'm sure you'll be following yeah. it. Hopefully we could do an update at some point. But yeah, I, I, I do think that the, the, the key to it all is all of this is that, you know, I think a lot of people are watching this from the assumption that they were involved and, and did it a lot of what you were saying is like, why didn't they do this? Why didn't you do that? And I, I, I think this in many, for many people, it's this idea that the, these are people that were just like them, you know, like I could see myself, maybe I'm not as, it's, it's, I'm not a talented coder like Ilya, but I could see being friends with them and seeing them around at a, like, you know, or her around at a show or cafe or a restaurant. Right. They were part you of know. like the tech community. Part of the tech community, but not like, you know, look, we all know these, these entrepreneurs who are at the top of their game. Um, you know, the, the founders that everybody, you know, they're like star founders and we, we, you, you know them, I know them, we've known them. Uh, as we, you know, you said our, our careers and, and our lives have, have, have crossed paths many, many decades. And we know these kind of like stars. And then you have people who are just kind of like kind of working their way up through this, through the ranks, if you will, socially. Um, but they're having like a, an okay life. You know, they live in a nice house. They live in a nice apartment. They, um, you know, not, not the biggest apartment, not the smallest. They have a little elbow space. Um, but they have normal lives, right? They're not jet setting and going to like, you know, fancy places all the time and, and whatever, and, and like ha buying an Island and buying a sports team and buying this and buying that. I mean, we, you know, you see these, you know, people who have billions of dollars buying sports teams, right. Buying, having stadiums named after their company. But I agree. Yeah. That would have been too, too, too uh, noticeable. But I'm more curious, why didn't they just... Uh, but I why think that's they... our fascination. Our fascination yeah. is that... There's a lot of whys. <laughs> there's a lot of whys, but it's also that, like, you just you look at your friends and neighbors, and you're like, could they be a... Ha like, could this person be 
like behind the yeah. the biggest you know crimes of the century that you know financial crimes of the century you know they're obviously war crimes are real crimes but like these sort of like white collar crimes that that we see and you know they they live such a mundane relatively mundane existence day to day you know getting up answering emails dealing with meetings and and you know the kind of stuff that we hate or we say we hate but the question is if we had all this money would we necessarily even give it up i don't know and and i think that that's a that's a great question this raises to all of us you know how how much of this lifestyles of the rich and famous that we're brought up on how much is that really fulfilling compared to the you know the human interactions and you know having a purpose a daily purpose of going to something and and trying to build something with your bare hands and your wit um, but even at the risk of most people don't have the risk of going to jail by living their normal lives maybe that's worth the risk i like yeah. like we don't you know like uh, emotionally we just don't know we don't know because most of us are, ne- are never going to be in that position most people are never going to be in a position of having 10 million dollars let alone you know, four billion or three billion or whatever. Particularly of ill-gotten gains. Yeah, or a lot of whatever it is. Like yeah. most people aren't going to be in that position to really say, "Oh, um, if I were this, if I were that, I would do this and that." We don't know. But here they chose. You know, if this is all true, if this is all true, they chose a path that is incredibly familiar and mundane to all of us, and we're sitting here asking why. And maybe we should be saying, you know, maybe we should look at our own situation and say, you know, we don't have it so bad. We are all billionaires in our own way. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they had this money and they still couldn't take the appropriate measures to make sure that that preserve their freedom. They chose their their lifestyle over that. Maybe that is a lesson. Um, But like you said, it's, you know, there's a lot we don't know. And to me, it suggests there's more to the story, which will be definitely be be following like it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because i definitely you know we, we probably like you said we probably have many mutual connections with them so i definitely have yeah, mutual friends well. with both of them yeah really for, uh, i'm sure i have quite a few as well well lawrence thank you so much for thank for you. helping me figure this out and you really raised a really interesting point that there's probably a lot more to this that, that we don't know there definitely is so uh let's keep in touch over this and and yeah. thanks once again for coming on the podcast and i yeah. asked the listener uh what would you do if you suddenly had a stolen four and a half billion dollars ask yourself that yeah thanks. well let's meet up in brooklyn uh where where they are and uh we'll 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 the scene of the crime. Taste, yeah, we'll have a taste of the lifestyle. What attracted people to to staying in Brooklyn? I I grew up there as a little kid. I lived there, and um and I have to admit it, it is a very um appealing kind of a place to be. Definitely, so I can understand it.